Bendenders alike. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And this is Brave the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to check in on you, Varney, see if you've recovered emotionally from our recap of The Blue Spirit. You were feeling that episode. No, I felt you feeling that episode as much as I was. Can I be honest? I have actually talked about that episode with three people since you and I recorded our recap of it. And every time I talk about Aang asking Zuko if they would have been friends under different circumstances, I start crying all over again. I know. And I throw fireballs. How about a fireball in the back of your head, Aang? How about a fireball? How about that? Yeah. I'm just, I'm very hurt by it. And I did love that recap. And thank you for checking in on me. I'm surviving. This show gives everybody all the feels. It does. And it's a compliment to the show and to the audience. Yeah, agreed. I'm very proud to be so moved by Avatar The Last Airbender. But I'm also very proud to introduce our fantastic guest for this week's episode because, Bosco, we had to have this person on the show as soon as possible. That's right. We talked to what we think of one half of the soundscape of Avatar, Jeremy Zuckerman. Yeah, and we've been chomping at the bit to talk to the other half. I don't want to oversimplify it, but that is kind of how we think of it in the best possible way. And we have talked about him so many times on this podcast already. I'm still talking about him in the third person like he's not here. So I need to correct that right away and say, everyone, please welcome sound designer and so much more, Benjamin Wynn. Hey, Ben. Welcome, Ben. Hi. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. That was an amazing introduction as well. Oh, my gosh. No, it's great. We're actually sitting here in the podcast and we're looking at Ben in his studio. So he looks exactly like a mastermind of sound at this moment. And it's a wide-angled shot. You look like you're in your element at the moment. I'm a wizard. I want a white coat. I just want to look like a scientist. I know. I get it. (laughs) I should have done that. Imagine me in a white coat looking like a scientist, please. Yes. It's very easy to do. (laughs) But I was watching the behind the scenes thing that aired on Nickelodeon, like at the finale of just book one. It was only just book one. And you and Brian and Mike, everybody looks, Mm -hmm. you look like the chibi versions of yourself, just like the Mm -hmm. Avatar chibis. You look like (laughs) the chibi versions. I know. It's It's really adorable. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. It's still stunning to me to see how young you guys were for how Mm. beautiful a job you were doing Mm. on this Mm. show. It kind of amazes me. I was actually talking to Brian and Jeremy today about how I was doing this and how I was going through sounds from the pencil test we did before the pilot episode, before the first episode. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. And just in case people don't know, a pencil test is when an animator literally takes the pencil to paper to test how their animations are working visually. Yeah. And and just listening back to that stuff, a couple things struck me. One is how... We were so young. I mean, that was almost 20 years ago. And I was 23 or 24 years old. Ben, let's not just date everybody in this room because (laughs) I also was in some of those behind the scenes shots. And that was, uh, we were all there almost 20 years ago. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) So it was amazing that Nickelodeon let us do it. But that was another amazing aspect of the show, which I think speaks to the character of the whole thing and Mike and Brian in particular and why they got a show with such heart, which is they hired so many of their friends and they believed that we could do things that we had never done before. And somebody believing that you can do something is an incredibly powerful thing. And then giving you that opportunity to do it. You guys are so young and it's so long ago. Literally the sound effects was you on the microphone going, shh. Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> the internet wasn't quite like the amazing vast marketplace that it is now. So right. I couldn't go somewhere to buy sounds like you can right. now. Back then you could buy large libraries of mail order CDs. These huge boxes of CDs would come to you and you'd be like, okay, great. You'd look up in PDFs, you'd be like, all right, I need some water sounds. And you'd be like, okay, disc 27 track three should be some water. Let's see what we got. Listening back today, again, I was struck by how many sounds had some form of our voices in them. Really? I was just joking. That is absolutely how we did it. I was like, are you guys beatboxing? We had a microphone and we go... Yeah. No way. So Jeremy and I met at CalArts studying music technology. And a lot of what we learned is signal processing. And, and actually, Jeremy, even more specifically, had learned a lot of extended vocal techniques that really? I learned through extension of him being really interested in it. We're going to have to get into this ASAP. Like, oh, my God. I can't wait to hear him. Yeah. You want to go? You want to... <laughs> Yeah, I just want to set up a little bit of the scene for me because like you and Jeremy are obviously in your early, mid-20s, whatever. Yeah. And you're somewhat fresh out of school. Directly fresh, Now yeah. you get this gig. Have you done a lot of other film and television soundscapes? Not a single thing. No. But you're fans of movies like Dune. I'm thinking of things that I can remember the sound. Yeah, so this pretty crazy entree into this world, which maybe isn't crazy because I think a lot of people get into Hollywood-type stuff through somebody just like being close to somebody and them doing something and them being like, you should do it too. I never had an ambition to do sound design. I never had an ambition to score. I was at CalArts studying electronic music, just making electronic music. I was actually roommates with Brian when he was working at Nickelodeon on Invader Zim and that show ended and they asked him to pitch. So I was there, like him and Mike drawing this stuff on our kitchen table, showing me early drawings and being like, they came up with this Bible, like I think in a week. But you were studying electronic music, like you were going to be Tiesto, Calvin Harris. I make kind of like avant-garde, electroacoustic <laughs> music, I guess is how you'd put it. I love it. You know, you could be at like a Tuesday at CalArts, you walk out for lunch and there's an amazing Indian ensemble playing that flew in. Amazing stuff. Mm. I would invite Brian to these concerts that would happen or the recitals and he was just like this is it this is the world you know and so through him knowing me and through what i learned at CalArts, which is basically just kind of signal processing synthesis nothing specific there was no class about this is how you score a show this is how you do sound design for a show absolutely nothing like that it was just like this is what an oscillator is this is what a filter is this is you know so i had the tools and brian and mike could see that Also, I was living with him making electronic music. (laughs) We had the tools, but no, we had not scored a TV show or done sound for TV. Wow. This is the first show. That was an interesting experience, like convincing Nickelodeon that we even could do it. I think that's why (laughs) there even was a pencil test, to be honest. Right. Some of that was us just trying to prove ourselves. Oh, we can actually deliver or something. (laughs) There actually will be something that you can show on TV. Right. Right, right. Anyway, that was all sort of a tangential for me to say. We did not have a vast library of sound effects to choose from. Everything was like, okay, wow, now there's a dragon. All right, how do we do a dragon? All right, let's figure this out. I don't know, we can make dragon sounds and then process them and filter them and layer them. And and that's how everything was made. Water was like recordings of streams and a hose and... Fire was our voice. And, you know, these these got mixed with things I could find and a couple libraries I bought, small ones. And so it just kind of came together. But when I listen even to the first season of Avatar, 
it has a quality to me that is very quaint, very mm. innocent. And I think that actually is one of its benefits. Avatar has such a great heart. And when you have people that have never done something and they're figuring it out, though, it was a lot of discovery. And I think you can feel it. At least I know I can because yeah. of, I remember those times. I feel like that translates. I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny because watching the behind the scenes that you guys recorded so long ago, there is a moment where you're sort of giving an example of a raw file recording before you are doing some of the synthesis to it. And so we have you on camera doing the sound of, for example, air, and it is sort of in your breath. And I do feel like there's this little twinkle in your eye. I know this probably seems kind of dumb. In the way that we all... Dante and I just tried to learn from D. Bradley Baker not too long ago, how to make the animal noises. And so we were just like finding out how impossible it is on our feet, which we knew that we'd be awful at and which we knew that we're probably going to be hard and we were probably going to be laughing at ourselves, whether or not those recordings that we have that will now live in infamy forever, if we handed them over to you, you could do something with them, I bet, that would make them sound somewhat closer to the magic that D makes or the magic that you make. But that first speed bump of just sitting down at the microphone and making a sound. Am I crazy or was there a little glint in your eye? Yeah, I know. People are not going to expect to see me go (laughs) on camera. And then see how it gets transformed. Is that right? Yeah. I think that we didn't know any better. And so I think there was a little part of me, maybe it was like, I know this probably isn't how it's done. It's so great, But this is how we're doing it. this is kind of how we did it. I don't know. And it sounds great. (laughs) And I love that you shared that. That's to me, it speaks so much of what Mike and Brian and all of you have always done which is share with the fandom, share with people because the interest is there. Going to the Comic-Cons and showing sketches, initial sketches of what Katara's winter clothes would look like. Mm -hmm. And that makes people feel like they are part of that process and part of that sincere heart that Mm -hmm. was the first season of Avatar. You can feel the heart of the show for sure. For sure. Also, Ben, I actually recently, because I've been traveling a lot and I've been watching some of these episodes, rewatch to get prepared for these podcasts, I've been watching it on headphones, Mm. on the plane, in the room. And it's a total different experience to watch these shows with headphones because the audio, obviously. Right. It was a whole, I didn't experience the show. Of course, especially when we first watched it, we were kids. We weren't really watching stuff in a theater type setting with some great Dolby sound. We're just watching on some TV in the kitchen or the living room. But to watch it now recently with some nice headphones, it's a total different experience. The sounds of all the bending, the sounds of the world, the animal sounds, even the vocal stuff. And like Janet was saying, what you do to our stuff, I know with every fight scene that we do, early in the show, we're stacking fight sounds and we're fighting a lot in the show. And so every time we do a fight scene, where the actors making, like you said, dumb fighting sounds, (laughs) like you're thinking I'm doing dumb air bending sounds or something. But as the show goes on and the catalog of what we have is each actor has a whole catalog of Mm -hmm. punches and kicks and hits and it becomes a whole symphony of of something else. It's funny because um, the first season and a half or two seasons, Jeremy and I were in the garage of his rental house. He would be in one corner with speakers and I was like on a little side computer with headphones. So I made the first season and a half on headphones which is just totally blows my mind right now (laughs) again it's just crazy to me it is wild for me to think now that the first 
real job that we got was this. Right. Which is still breaking records and being talked about 15, yeah. 16 years later. Yeah. Let's talk about that. When you first came to this, what did you think it was? There's no time to reflect or like imagine what it's going to be, especially when you've had no experience of it. Again, every episode, we go into spot where we go through the episode moment by moment, Brian and Mike, Jeremy and me, and we're writing down exactly what they're thinking with the time code exactly at 11 minutes and 23 seconds. Okay, big explosion. You know, it's like everything's written down. Every single episode of Avatar was a huge challenge. <laughs> huge. Not only because we had never done that before, but because of the show. Right. Every episode was something totally new, some new world, some new creature, some new spirits, you know, something totally new. So every moment was just like, oh, my God, how is this going to happen? What does the spirit realm sound like? What does it the sound like? The spirit world. Yeah. That was like some of my favorite stuff on Avatar. Great. So one of the things from listening to these early sounds that was one of the challenging things to figure out for Avatar was how to make bending sounds sound realistic and natural mm -hmm. because the show felt much more grounded when everything was as realistic as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can kind of hear it in the early sounds. I'm like uh, experimenting with like, okay, how do you make an air ball that forms and then right. it rolls around? And so you have to, but it can't sound sci-fi. It has right. to actually sound mm. like air is spinning. Organic. It has, it has to, to sound yeah. like it's really happening. Analog. Yeah. So we yeah. had to sell the world as if it was an actual world somewhere that we're just looking in and everything is happening there. Yeah. So the fire has to sound as real as possible. The air, all the elements have to sound as real as possible. And so that was the hardest thing to figure out because a lot of those sounds evolve to be more natural because that's actually harder to do. Hmm. Much harder to make an air ball sound perfectly like an air ball that might exist instead of making it tweaked in some way. That's much easier. Like to have a tone or a pitch or, a, you know, be different somehow. But if you really want it to sound like air, it's much more challenging. So those evolved over time. But then when we got to the spirit world, that was so fun because that could be abstract. Hmm, and, right. oh, okay, this doesn't exist in the world. So now we can make this sound unique. And so that was super fun. Actually, for that, I took a little kid's toy imagine a preschool girl that wants to be like a princess she would have like right. a magic wand and you tap it and it would go Ting! and it's in the shape of a star right it's in the star exactly so that became the spirit world sounds so really like pitched down stretched out so whenever they walk through a portal it goes those are all from those little like princess twinkly things you brought up the princess twinkle star. And you knew exactly what I was talking about. That's props. Anyway, it's in ahead. the behind the scenes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see it. Yeah, you see the star. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing okay. if I had just intuited that. I know. You were just like, oh, I have a lot of that. Janet, what, were those. you a princess? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, I played an avatar, so of course uh, yeah. I knew it was a star shape. But you also bring out, that's the other wonderful actual prop, prop that right. you bring out, is those plastic red lips that make the like, oh, my <laughs> Sound. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. That leads to the question, were you always looking around in your regular life for yeah. things? Did you have yeah. the filter on your eyes and ears at all times when you were doing the show? Like, uh, I, yeah, I wait, did. my spoon against this cup just made this really great sound. Maybe I could adapt that somehow and use. It was more like somehow I just collected really small things that made sound. 
I have like little bird calls that became Momo. That's the other thing about avatars that there's kind of a lot of like little gags, yep, little yeah. sound effects that like play up the gags. So right. if somebody was doing like one of those little like funny yeah. moments where they were freaking out, you know, I'd pull out yeah. a little like bird call, you know, or something like that. Oh, that's great. I have a bunch of stuff. I still have a shelf just full of random stuff and my mom knew this about me if she saw something she would like bring me random stuff i think she bought oh. me the lips and so oh yeah. i love that <laughs> that's hilarious i love that yeah, we also love the slide whistle we always said that your slide whistle budget almost exclusively had to go to Sokka <laughs> because there was just a lot of stuff that Sokka Sokka did that tons resulted of slide in a... whistle for Sokka. Oh, man. there was a lot of joy between jeremy and i of it's great getting so much usage out of three to five dollar items it's so great actually the main flute that is in the main title and the end credits was like a three dollar flute that i got in one of those bins that you can get at just random (laughs) like 99 cent stores or whatever yeah that is immortalized and it's fun that these random small like things that are totally useless until they have some incredible use. Right. <laughs> and then it's, oh my God, this is why I had this thing. Yeah. And the lips were totally that. I got so much play out of those lips, even for things like really subtle, like way later in season three or something when Jet was going up ropes. We go, <gasps> yeah. I, you know, I would have some friction sounds, but it was the lips just going. <laughs> wow. That's so it's great. so crazy. Oh, that's weird stuff. <laughs> We'd love to hear just a little bit from your perspective in talking with Jeremy and sort of hearing about, of course, you are a trained musician, that you are a composer. There was a discussion at the beginning in that wonderful way when friends are collaborating on a passion project that you wanted and Mike and Brian wanted you both to have the opportunity to use skills above and beyond what you were initially starting with so that there was this discussion of I'll do it for this half and then we'll switch sides and then I'll compose and you'll do sound design and the will and the spirit was there but it just wasn't doable to sort of change lanes like that. Is that your experience of it? Yeah, we were very bright-eyed and naive about the whole thing. I remember we even wrote a manifesto about how music and sound are one and how they should be treated the same and love that. they should not be segregated in the industry and all this they stuff. shall not be segregated <laughs> this music and sound it's very rare that a production would hire one entity to do both things actually yeah that's strange but we had the manifesto <laughs> But we had the manifesto. (laughs) We were very serious about it. For the pencil test and for the pilot, we did both things together. We just, I think first we did the sound design and then we did the music, I think. I can't remember which order, but... Yeah, we did them all like, all right, dude, what should we do now? You're like, how do we do this? And it was incredible. So much work you guys did both. It's crazy. The harder thing was just the amount of time that that took to do that. Mm. Right. Because in television, we quickly learned that there's just no time. I think we had one week. I can't quite remember now. No, we had two weeks. But within that two weeks, three or four days is for revisions of the other episodes. So oh, like sure. actual working days, you have five days or something. Seven yeah. if you're going to work through the weekend. Yeah. So we just quickly were just like, this is insane. We can't both be discussing every choice that we make. We had to segregate. And by segregate, I mean like Jeremy's over there on that computer and I'm over here on this computer. And so we're still like hearing everything that we're doing. We just had to choose a lane, not only for timing, but to build our own efficiencies 
at doing the thing we're going to have to be doing for the next, what turned into the next decade of our lives. So right. it was not only for getting the shows done, but also so like each of us could become an expert in a thing, if that makes sense. Sure. Where does Foley come into it? Where does that fit? Because I know Jeff Kettle and Sana, they were doing some of that in-studio oppas. Totally. The looked to me like maybe they were toilet plungers with some foil on them. I'm not sure. <laughs> Another wonderful snapshot. Yeah, so they did Foley, I think, for the first season or for two seasons. I can't quite remember. It switched to Aaron, Tantrum, and, and Vinny eventually. And the process switched once that changed, actually, in that once... They started doing it. They would send me the files directly so that I could augment what they were getting and layer in their sounds with mine to beef up some things that needed to be beefed up or just add some realism to some of the things that I was doing. Foley is an incredible process. That's a whole other incredible trained, passed down art form where... Right. Crap. And that really is, oh, okay, there's rope. Let me get my lips. Those like really are sound analogies that they have built up throughout their whole career of sound-alike things. Right. Yeah. That is the art of recording sounds that sound like whatever's on screen as a performance with a microphone, all done in real time, mm. which is wild. So they would do that separately, and then we would both come together for the mix. You're just hitting home so much to this something like Avatar, which we've heard from so many different perspectives how collaborative it is, but also imagining that time crunch and the fact that you just all have to show up for each other. Like you have to, something has to get to you at a certain time so that you can do what you do to it and then it goes over to somebody else and then that's got to get to this and that. And so just the idea of having to work in that way under that kind of time pressure is probably pretty mind-blowing. It sounds like very fun, but also super stressful, especially if you do care about your team. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be the missing link, right? Totally. Everything you said is totally accurate. In my point of view, television is the art of doing the best you can with the amount of time that you're given. And the amount of time that you're given is never the amount that you want. So you just have to keep going and hope that you're not making compromises or hoping that the end result is everything that you want it to be upon reflection at the end because you really have very little time to reflect as it's happening and it's a grind it is every day because the second you hand in one that very same moment you start talking about the next episode those seasons are 22 episodes a season or something but it feels like tv these days you're doing like 10 13 episodes, maybe they're an hour, but still. Now they're buying eight episodes, like eight episodes. Okay. Yeah. So what that meant is we were working on these the entire year and then we would go right into the second season and then right into the third season. So there was three or four years that just felt like when you got a vacation, you were just like laying in a lounge chair comatose because you were just dying. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to have that never-ending to-do list. That's a hard feeling, I think, for a lot of us to accept. I have to come to peace with the fact that this list will never, ever get any shorter. Every time I cross one thing off, two more things are on it for a year. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking the one good thing about the sound thing is in that never-ending list, the bison whistle. Didn't have to worry about that one, Ben. Didn't have to worry about the bison whistle. That was such a relief. Email Jeremy and check that one off the list. That's the only reason I slept at night, honestly. I remember going to Mike and Brian's office and seeing a printout of their schedule from storyboard through completion for every episode. 
I'm not kidding. It went across a wall and like turned a corner and then like kept going. Oh, and Brian would just be like, I know what I'm doing every single day of my life for the next four years. Wow. Of course, this is like boo-hoo stuff. This is like amazing. Nobody should no, feel bad for anybody it. about people this. But the great thing it. that we're having the ability to go back and talk about this project that mm-hmm. me and Ben started almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is a rare thing. Guess what? Every show has these problems and these issues, but it's a rare thing that any show becomes as successful as this show has become and has remained. I know. And now we're looking back at it like I was beginning my voice acting career. Yeah. We're all kids to a degree. It's so wild. We didn't even know podcasts existed back then, so no one could have ever thought we're going to be doing a podcast about this later on. A, I know. but B, who knew this show was going to be as important as it became? Definitely not me. Not that I didn't think it would be successful. I, again, I didn't have any time to like really just sit back and be like, hmm, it's crazy. what's this going to be like in 20 years? You just don't do that. Oh, sure. You don't. It's like you're starting a band and you're like, we're going to be Nirvana. You're like, no, you're not, <laughs> dude. It's wild. But in a weird way, this show became an important band, became one of the big bands. Yeah. No one thought that going into one it. One thing that blows my mind, and, and this is really going to age us, <laughs> There are people that I will talk to that are adults, and they're just like, this show changed my life. I watched it when I was like I seven years old or something. I know. I'm just like, yeah. oh, sorry, what? Yeah. You're an adult human being. What are you talking about? I know. No, people are like, hey, this is my teenage son, Aang. I named him after the show I grew up yeah, watching. that's wild to me. But also, it's amazing because I have a niece who is 14, and her and her friends are all watching the show. Yeah, I know. She yeah. said they were listening to the music in school the other day. The best. So it's, it's reaching new audiences, which is the truest sign of of success. 100%. And I think that a lot of that goes back to the story and the character development yeah. and just the heart of that show. And it, the story so universal that it, it can keep bringing new people in. It's a timeless thing. But it's also very fascinating. Again, as people have been following me and Janet on this whole podcast journey, it's like to make a show as brilliant as the one that we are fortunate to be a part of, it's a lot of different people, a lot of different crews, things you don't even think about, like the sound and the sound design or the artists and wherever they are. Everyone has to work together and hit the right spot at the right time. And that rarely happens Mm -hmm. for projects. I don't know how Mike and Brian did it. They got everybody at the right time and we all somehow hit the right note at the right time. I don't know how it happened. This goes back, though, to them having vision about hiring their friends because also, like you said, Janet, friends want to make the best thing possible. We would work our butts off. It was just what we were doing. We were doing this to the best of our abilities for the entire time that we were doing it. And part of that is just wanting to do a good job, but a huge part of that is wanting to be there for your friends and like impress your friends and do a good job for your friends and make a cool thing. Making art with your friends is pretty much the best, period. Totally. It's brilliant by them as well. Yeah, it's super rare that it all comes together. And anyway, I'll I'll stop about that. Then you're the Beatles. There you go. There you go. We will kick ourselves if we don't ask the questions that we always ask. But I also would love to hear the sounds that you pull. Yeah. Oh, we got to hear those sounds. Cool. Let's do it. I don't know how impressive these sounds are going to be, but that's kind of the point. Like we <laughs> we want the artisanal early we want sounds. To hear the original sound of air. Okay. Oh, okay, I found the uh, the magic wand. That's the raw recording, and then uh, this which is already like, sounds pretty cool. Some processing. I don't know if you recognize that. That's good. You know, that's that's like a spirit portal. Yeah. So basically I would layer a bunch of these. 
really works. It's so, uh, yeah. Okay, so that's, that's, so here's like a moment from the, the pencil test that is all like finished. That sounds great. That was that was pretty I think that intense. That sounds great. To my ears, it, it sounds very quaint. I think it sounds great. <laughs> uh, but so a lot of that stuff, a lot of layers of voice in there. So. Oh, that was a rubber band that flew around. What? Play that again. What was that supposed you, to be? Is that airbending? You can kind of hear the. That's cool. That's mixed with That's the voice awesome. going. That's great. Here's a. That's just the voice part. Here's the magic. That's fast. That sounds fast. There's, that's the rubber band part. Um, let's see what this is. That was some kind of metal. I have no idea what that is. Let's see what this is. Like a sword or something? Like a good... Okay, yeah. So check it out. So that was another move from the pencil. Listen to how much voice is in that. <laughs> Every movement has voice in it. I can't tell the voice. Know, it just sounds like something. We're two you we're can't? Luddites, I guess, about this because it all sounds really good to okay, me. Okay, I'll go through a little, one by one. <laughs> so, I mean, you hear the So it's that, and then it goes. And then. Yeah. It all sounds mystical to me. <laughs> It's again, it's just wild. It to does me. sound organic, just like you were aiming for and hoping for. And you're right about that. But I don't listen to it and go like, oh, isn't that adorable? Like, not at all. I'm like, right. yeah, that sounds all great. But luckily, it worked. You were great at your job, turns it out. It worked. It worked. It more than worked, it sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It still sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Gosh, how do I put it? It brings me joy in the way that, like, knowing that your tools work. Yeah. Oh, you actually do know how to, like, cook you know or like i know what ingredient how to combine onions and tomatoes and pasta to make something that tastes good and if you know how to do that then you can do that for any dish totally. it doesn't matter yeah. where you're starting from you know how to get to the place that you need to go i think that makes total sense i'll just do some quick fire stuff give us some fire ben all right cool yes yeah, so there's a lot of voice in there. Well, let's talk about that. I'll speak for the person who is, I'm sure, listening like me, who does think to themselves, okay, blowing air out of your mouth to make the sound of air bending seems mm -hmm. like a one-to-one -one ratio. Like, mm -hmm. that feels like, mm -hmm. oh, good, that makes sense. And mm -hmm. even to a certain degree with water, because I think we've all made that sound. But when you talk about using your voice or the sound of air coming out to also make fire, which isn't necessarily a thing mm -hmm. that we immediately tie one mm -hmm. to the other, that's really fascinating to me. And it sounds so good. So can you talk more about that? Yeah. So a lot of the sounds that you're hearing, the way I would transform them is with a technique called granular synthesis. And what that would do, it takes a sound file, me going, and then you can chop it up into really tiny bits and then you can play back those bits in various ways. Instead of it being one bit, you could say like play back 20 bits and every time you play back 20 bits, have them all be offset in pitch. So some are going really low, some are going really high. Mm. So you can create these really dense 
things and then you can slow them down so the whole thing becomes this really big texture and those little sound bits become this huge like amount of density mm. then you can play with those parameters to give them a um a flow or an evolution that can then match like what's happening on screen what the character is doing. That's so crazy you explained that because you said granular synthesis a few times mm. and I just nodded my head a bunch of times like I know what you were saying. But actually, <laughs> I now understand what you're saying by breaking the sound into grains, granularness. Yeah, like, think of like grains of sand. Yeah. And then synthesizing the grains of sand of sound. Varney. See? Did you know granular synthesis or was I just sitting here going, I, do we all know? Is that a common word? No, totally the same. Like you sort of hear it as words that make sense hypothetically. And then when you hear those words after it's been actually applied with an example, it takes on a whole different meaning. And I think also part of the joy in this, and one of the things we talk about a lot as voice actors, is the fact that we're standing in a room with a script in front of us trying to access that part of us that is so rich and so available when you're a little kid mm. to use your imagination to build these worlds, right? Before you even see the pictures, before there's any music, before there's mm. any sound design. And so I love hearing a piece of that from a different department of the same mm -hmm. show. We all know what it feels like to be like, and then my guy comes down and he's like, whoosh, and he comes exactly. down. You're just playing with your friends totally. and you're making the sound effects because what else are you going to do? You're mm -hmm. going to make the sound effects. And so the idea that you took something that's so organic, that feels familiar to so many of us, and to know that you could actually take and technically mature those sounds and have them in the show, that's part of that organic heart that we're talking mm -hmm. about. And mm -hmm. I think that's got to be so wonderful for people to hear is like, wow, mm -hmm. you can sort of do the grown up, quote unquote, version of what we all got lost in as kids that we loved so much. Mm -hmm. And people don't think about it, but it's absolutely true that your voice, the voice is the most expressive instrument. It can sound, I mean, you had D. Bradley Baker. He can sound like anything. And you can too. Little kids can too. You know, you can do those sounds. And also, your voice is so incredibly expressive. So you can watch a movie or whatever, watch action, or just imagine it and think about how those sounds would evolve and do it instantly with your voice. One of the hardest things about sound design and one of the keys to making it successful is matching what is happening to picture. That is... I found more important than the actual sound most of the time. Once you hear the sound and it attaches at least somewhat, your brain's like, oh, okay, cool, that's the sound for that. But then what makes it really sell is following the movement and doing everything that is happening on screen, like being locked in. So now you get sold on how it sounds attaching initially, but then to really sell it, it has to follow through all the movement. And the movement is one of the hardest things. And luckily, your voice is incredible for doing that kind of stuff. So you can very roughly mimic the picture with your voice. And then often what is lacking is timbral qualities. So maybe it needs to sound deeper and have more body. So you can, again, use granular synthesis or something like that and pitch it down but not change its time and then make it more dense and then layer it with maybe key movements of... Okay, there's an explosion. Let's layer in an explosion there. And then, but oh, but the actual sound, the thing that is still morphing, could be coming from your voice. So it's an incredibly powerful layer to attach movements. So fascinating. It's so cool. If you have any other sounds you want to play, we're all for it. Let's see. I have a couple more. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we were just talking about. Is that some fire? It sounds like that good old, I feel warm, or just listening to that fire. (laughs) But that's totally it. It was like two sort of crescendos with your voice that get processed. Listen, if people listen to this on a podcast or they just listen to our sound, but when you're watching film and television, sound is something that the common person doesn't really think about. We're such a visual medium, and you think about the visual medium, and you don't understand that sound is actually half of your experience. Mm-hmm. But it's it's always a thing that, especially when we're talking about films and indie films and stuff, when the sound's not right, we skimped on the sound, the audience doesn't know why they're not enjoying the film. Yeah. It's not hitting it as much. You can't actually put your finger on it's it. It's like that uncanny valley yeah. thing. Yeah, It's a tactile thing that you can't see, but you can feel... If it's not there, if it's all there, you're immersed. You don't even really think about it unless you're an audiophile head. Totally. And so it's fascinating to take this whole thing and and talk about it. It's ironic that we're doing this on a podcast because it's all sound. There's no visual. And we're really diving into the sound. But the sound is so important to a project. And you almost don't know how important it is until you have bad sound. As a producer, I've been there. And I'm like, oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And two, I think there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are going to, the next time they're at their TV where they can throw Avatar on, Put it on and it turn on. the volume all the way down and just realize that's what right. Ben, maybe with the exception of some very unprocessed dialogue, he's looking at it and going, there is a world I have to create and put here because it simply doesn't exist otherwise. Totally. And then watch that same scene and really keep throw some headphones mind in. on. Yeah, throw some headphones on. Exactly. And then blow your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sound design, it's like a utility in that you don't really notice it unless it's gone. And then you notice how important it is. It's like electricity or something like that. To do the job well, you're kind of invisible. But I think people feel it. They don't think about it. This is when it will be so fun to be in a studio together. So like we need no to be one... a studio together. Even us as voice actors on the project. I never expected in my career to people be so attached to my voice. You know, I'm an on-screen actor. You're an on-screen actor. That's what we do. But the sonicness of what's going on. So many people are attached to certain sounds, and you're like, how? Like, why? I guess I grew up with a lot of Optimus Prime and certain voice actors, but I wasn't as attached and connected to some of these people as this new generation is to the sounds, to my voice as a sound. Mm. It's crazy. It's really cool. Yeah. Some of the stuff that happens in the show, speaking back to you and Jeremy working together as a duo, there are scenes all the way through in pretty much every episode where there is seriously sound heavy effect stuff happening in tandem with big emotional dire if it's a fight action sequences because you were sort of talking earlier about having these bits and pieces that people are bringing I bring this and then that goes to that person and that goes to that Mm -hmm. but when I think about some of those scenes it's almost impossible to imagine them happening separately because they are both such intense and important pieces in scenes like that. What is that process like? Is it exactly the same? Or are you guys yeah. really sitting side by side? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that was a great question. This goes back to our manifesto. And honestly, though, it really uh, played out in situations like that. Because when Jeremy and I were right next to each other, I'd be like, yo, what key are you going to be in at this moment? Because I'm going to be doing some, like, portal that's going to have a pitch. And so I need to make sure that my pitch is yes. locking into what you're going to be doing musically the same key as and a lot of productions as i said it was it's very rare to hire one entity to do both things but this is one of the areas where the show had an advantage maybe because we were right there we were both musicians and we were both sound designers and we were just we would make sure that what we were doing worked together a lot of times 
that does not happen on right. productions and you get to the dub stage, something's clashing, somebody has to go back and redo something or you yeah. just lose something or totally. they weren't in as much communication during the making of that Jeremy and I were. In harmony and in balance. That's right. They the were symbiosis. In that's right. Well, that's true, especially with action, because there's so many, you know, we're so used to big budget action movies where there's just such an emphasis on, like, the sound of this explosion and then the sound of this train as it goes off the tracks. And then there's also a sense of the soundtrack has to be so loud and has to be, you have to be on the edge of your seat. And then it does start to feel like those two things are competing with each other and they're trying to round each other out. I feel like you can tell, like you were saying, Bosco, like you may not know that's the experience you're having. You may not be able to identify what's not working for you, but it may very well be something like that where you feel, whoa, now I feel like I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. It's not making sense. It's just totally. competing things. But the idea that the soundtrack is in the same key as the explosion. What <laughs> are we talking about, Benjamin? Is that what you're talking about? Like, they're walking and doing this, but we're going to put that in the same key and in harmony with the score. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And cool. Yeah. It's so Avatar. You know what we need to do? We need to uh, put online Jeremy and my business cards yes. oh, that please. Brian made for us because we were called the track team and we oh got dressed goodness. up in track suits. No way. And like did these hilarious poses. It's so Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique oh, right now. Oh my goodness. And Brian like rasterized them and into this amazing logo. And um, yeah, we still have those business cards. They're incredible. But that was around the same time as the manifesto. So we were we were in our own world. <laughs> Jeremy and I had, a, I think, a really good learning moment going back to what you're talking about. So it was that episode, The Great Agnikai. That's what it's called. Mm. Is that the episode or was that the fight? I think it's the fight. That's the fight. The okay, perfect. It was during that fight. And we were at the mixing stage and we were at the sound stage for the mix. And... A lot of what you are talking about in terms of making things work and like where your attention goes comes down to the mix as well. And when the mix is done really well, that stuff is totally seamless. And what we learned, what I started to learn is that I think a lot of times a really good mix is when you make decisions about what the most important thing is to hear at that moment. So during that fight, it was crazy uh, firebending, just like full spectrum sound design, really emotional music. And we were there and we had the idea. We were like, what if we just like low past all the sound design so you can barely hear it? And we're like, let's give it a shot. So we like turn it way down. So it's just muffled. And then the music, it became like one of my favorite musical moments. It's just so emotional, but it needed the sound design to get out of the way because Sound design is a functional art form for the most part. It's about selling something that's happening on screen. Hmm. Music is an emotional art form. It's about selling the story and the emotions that the characters are going through. So sometimes you have to get that like functional stuff out of the way to allow the emotional stuff to really take over. that was one of those like moments wow we really discovered that sometimes choosing what we're going to do what is going to be the focus even before we start doing it was really powerful so from that moment on like in spotting sessions we'd be like all right maybe music should really take over in this part of the scene or same with sound design so we'd be like you know what 
why don't we just have no music here? This would be all sound. And so that was something that we kind of had to learn, but was very powerful once we did. Okay, this has been so amazing. Bosco, listen, we're dying to hear some of your thoughts on the questions that we typically ask because yes. I already feel like we have this whole different viewpoint into yeah, no, the we're, show. We're in a whole different sound place, but I think from a sound design place and from that mindset, some of these questions would be good. So we always ask. Is this going to be like a quiz? Am I going to fail this? No quiz. Am I fail? No wrong answer. Okay, all right, good. What's your favorite hybrid animal? And you probably made some of these animals move mm. or anything. All right. I'm sure you add a lot of sound design. So what's your favorite hybrid animal in the Avatarverse? When it was being made, and I was 24, I would probably go with Momo. However, I have a four-year-old, and I still have an Appa plushie yeah. that my kid now absolutely loves and like cuddles with. Mm. Appa! And, Appa you know, for the win. When he was like two years old, he knew Appa's name. And I also have a drawing that Brian made of Aang on Appa in his room, and so... Ugh. Yeah, I would say emotionally now it's got to be Appa, but I do love some Momo. Love it. Yeah, Great answers. More questions, Barney? And what kind of bender would you be? Wow. Really? Think hard, Benjamin. Really? I think I'm starting to sweat. These are the hard-hitting questions. Yeah, I know. This is like choosing a favorite child. This is the only question, really. I'm going to go, uh, I always like making the fire sounds. Mm-hmm. Those were always the most fun, easy to there make. There you go. Fire Nation. Dante finally like just it. relaxed for the first time in the episode. He just like <laughs> sat back, stretched out, was like, Fire Nation, I'm eh? part of the crew. Hey, sounded Fire pretty Nation. good to me. We can't lose now, right? <laughs> We're doing good. We needed all that power. You could have been an avatar, Ben, because you did bend all the elements, obviously. So you could have been an avatar. Yeah, we would accept that. Oh, I knew I was going to fail this There's quiz. no failing. You're Fire Nation. There's but... no fail. That just means that you have a humility that you could have really gotten sassy and been like, I don't need to choose. I'm the avatar. You bent all the elements. I am gone. <laughs> Imagine if I hadn't chose fire and you guys would just be over there doing movements with no sound. It'd be really, it'd be sad. I know. That's a good point. Do we have That's more questions point. going on, Barney? If we want, we could ask. So what's a ship that you appreciate in the Avatar verse? The only one I really root for, I think, is Korra and Asami. Woo! Korra Asami! Great answer. Always a winner. Great answer. Love it. It's a winner. And the good news is you didn't say... Katang, and you didn't say guitar and Aang, and so Dante's not mad at you at all. I would never be mad at you. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't want that heat on me. I can feel you it through the screen. You do not want that heat. Ben, you're a firebender. I would, I would never be mad at you. <laughs> you would backstab me. <laughs> never, never. Yeah, no, but that is a relationship that I definitely, I still, that's an amazing thing that to me. That was a lovely development. Beautiful relationship. Avatar, this whole universe very quickly took on a life of its own that... Jeremy and I, and probably even Mike and Brian, like the people that are making it don't necessarily have the same relationships, like fandom or something. That's all stuff that like really just showed me how much people cared about it and really yes, just showed right. me that it's we yes. were doing the right things. But I wasn't sitting well, here like, oh God, I'm going to be so angry. Yeah. No, I'm just happy to help <laughs> tell this story. Yeah. And I was just here for it. That's how I feel the same way. This is one of those beautiful projects that you have in your career. And if you came early in your career, which is amazing, Ben, like your first gig, it really is beyond all of us. As artists yeah. doing projects, you're in a project that's bigger than you. It's mind-blowing. And you're just happy to be a part of this great adventure. It's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, I remember back in the day when we would f- hear how many people watched it. And we would just be like, what? At the time, it was like 4 million people just heard 
our sound or like, I mean, it was just yeah. like, all right, you know what? I can't think about that anymore. I just gotta forget all that. <laughs> yeah. Like, but there were just these moments True. where you just totally blew your mind. And at this point, it's like hundreds of millions. It's insane. At this point, we're doing a podcast about a show we did 15 plus years ago. hundred million Crazy. people are going to listen to this. Yeah, right. We're lucky to have gotten a lot. Yeah, and all those people appreciate no, this. It's, it's such a blessing. And Jeremy and I, we text each other a couple times a year just about how blessed we are to have been a part of this and the fact that it's still such an important, relevant piece of art in the world 15, 20 years later. Is, it's, just a, it's just a continued reminder of that blessing. We love having these conversations because it just continues to solidify and maybe galvanize the sense that people get about the love that went into the making of this. And so that kind of keeps the whole thing going as well, is is, is reinforcing that feeling of, oh, the people who are responsible for this feel that appreciation and feel that love and feel that awe about how it all went down. And that's a lovely feedback loop for totally. us to hear about people who love it who are viewers and listeners and then the people who were behind the making of it feeling similarly i think that's just that's lovely and that's really what this podcast is about as much as anything yes ben thank you so much for sitting down thank you so much for joining us it's such an amazing conversation it was really fun yeah thanks to both of you yeah it's really yeah i've heard your voices a lot in my studio but (laughs) interacted with them very little this is fun (laughs) <laughs> and for all the fans out there, is it, are there any social media handles or anything that you want to throw out there? Sure. Yeah. My, I make music under the name Deru, D-E-R-U. So you can find it anywhere you find music. D-E-R-U, or, everyone. Yeah. Check it out. And uh, can I just get that? That's it. That's, That's what right. music sounds like. It's just that. <laughs> it's just that thanks, Ben. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, what a blast. So fun. Follow us on social media. I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter, at the JV Club on Instagram. You are at Dante Bosco, basically everywhere, Everywhere, right? except for on TikTok, at Dante. And next week, we'll be recapping the fortune teller with Avatar superfan and iconic actress, you know her as Luna Lovegood, and my good friend, Ivana Lynch. We'll see everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.